This is the Detection at Scale podcast, a new show designed to help security practitioners succeed at managing and responding to threats at a modern cloud scale. As the volume of data increases and the attack surface expands, it's never been more important to stay ahead of the curve. Each episode will feature interviews with leading security practitioners, thought leaders, and company founders who are building the next generation of security tools. I'm your host, Jack Naglieri, founder and CEO of Panther Labs. Now let's get into today's show. Hey, welcome back to another episode of Detection at Scale. My name is Jack Naglieri. Today I'm here with Thomas Owen, who is the CISO at Grafana. Thomas, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. So can you step us through your journey so far and how you ended up in security and, and how you ended up at Grafana? Yeah, sure. How I ended in security is a complicated one. I was doing a English literature undergraduate degree in the UK, graduated the year of the financial crash, and my partner and I realized I needed a job. So I did a master's in computing. I went to a really interesting Singularity Institute talk where they, you know, Singularity Institute's tracking basically log curves for things to do with tech, so you know, Moore's Law and that kind of thing. And they, they mapped the rate of digital information transmitted wirelessly since Marconi's wireless telegraph. And it's a perfect log curve. It's kind of like everything is trending towards some form of singularity. When we have fusion power and 3D printing of food, what are the things that are left of value? Information and generally the scarcity of information, therefore security is probably the last job to ever go away. I should probably go and do cybersecurity. It was also really interesting. I like being a problem provider. I think I'm probably lucky enough to be the first generation that could start their career in cybersecurity as a thing they can deliberately do. I uh, started my career in cloud and never really left. So I worked my way through a number of cloud-hosted companies. Last gig, built the security team at Sneak, which was an amazing journey, rocket ship. And now I'm at Grafana doing something very similar, building an internal security function and a product function as well. When you think about building functions from the ground up, like what's your typical start point? Yeah, it's interesting. This is the third or fourth time I've done this kind of, I call it bootstrapping. Like I bootstrap a team to the point that I can no longer be a firefighting engineering manager, I can be a CISO because I've got people running teams. I keep vacillating between two approaches. Do you hire really smart leaders and then get them to fill out a team? Or do you hire a bunch of smart ICs, then hire leaders? I haven't found the right balance yet, I don't think. Like, there's pros and cons for each. I like engineers. Like, I wouldn't be so crass to consider myself an engineer, but I really like engineers and like solving engineering problems. So I tend to go ICs first. Hire a couple of really key smart people who are sort of on the principal end of experience, but broadly do what they tell me. How do you think about like the functional areas really early on mm-hmm. in the team? Are you just looking for general security people? Are you looking for incident responders? Are you looking for people to do application security? Like, What's yeah. that balance in your head? I'll start with a slightly more, potentially perceived as slightly more old-fashioned stuff, like assurance and accreditations and that kind of compliancy stuff is ultimately the way that we articulate security investments to make money with customers. So having at least some muscle in that space is really important. What I would call customer trust, like do some things that mean when you get better at security, you're able to sell more and faster. Like that's an important muscle, but you don't over-index on that. That's like, you keep that going, you make that work, but it's not your area of focus. I tend to go 50-50 hard AppSec people who can start building relationships with people that write code. I think security, particularly at the sort of AppSec, CloudSec product security layer, it only really works when there's a really high bandwidth, trustworthy relationship. So having that ratio of AppSec, CloudSec experts to product area, number of engineers is quite important. 
and then a, a grab bag of engineers who are more builder types who can start building tools to do like well, enabling autonomy, like building the things that make it easier for engineers to do security themselves. Instant response SecOps is really important, but I think it's kind of like third in the chain of you really need to know what you have. You need to know that you're on the journey towards good hygiene. And only at that point can you really legitimately say, and now we should really think about the response and operational aspects of things. I mean, ideally, you get the staffing bill do all three of those things at once because that is table stakes. Yeah, typically you don't need IR that early, right? Because yeah, exactly. nothing really happening yet. And you don't typically have the data, you don't have yeah. systems instrumented and things like that. Yeah. You don't I'll, know that things are happening. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned that you really spent your whole career in cloud. Did you ever go from this like more traditional on-premise world or like was it all cloud AWS type of environment? Yeah, I've worked at two or three different cloud hosting providers. So actually you know, trying to figure out how to build not the hyperscalers, but Rackspace when just before AWS took off and you know left Rackspace when you suddenly realized that you were a direct competitor to Amazon and that's a desperately unhealthy place to be. And then a couple of other more niche places that were trying to do uh, cloud scale, more or less auto-scaling sort of consumable cloud stuff with a real security edge. So I've had the fortunate thing of thinking about working with hyperscaler cloud systems and building and running hyperscaler cloud systems. And also, I mean, I designed a data center security program. I've worried about layer one and layer two problems as well. And then that was a, a really fortunate thing. Like I'm really appreciative of my time at Rackspace where one of the first sort of people thinking about AppSec and OpenStack when it was just Rackspace and NASA, but also there's a data center. That was kind of cool. I think a lot of people might miss that. Like defensive physical engineering is, is sort of an interesting psychological sort of thing as well. Why is a hedge an effective security control? Oh, by the way, also need to worry about the API. It's kind of cool. Yeah, whenever you have a cloud hosting provider is the thing you're protecting. I can imagine all the different angles of wanting to break that. There's like virtualization, there's network, yeah. there's just systems OS <laughs> level. Like there's a lot of stuff in there that you, you could really get popped by. So Yes, I'm very grateful that I no longer have to worry about so many of those low-level things. Like working for you know, modern, remote-first, start scale out to companies that are cloud-native, there's just a whole section of stuff that used to be of great concern that if AWS or GCP's physical security gets compromised, that's really bad. But it's not as though it's going to be my problem specifically and only. Like The end of the world has occurred for a lot of organizations, which doesn't make it a thing you can't worry about, but it's a thing you just sort of go, I don't have an ability to impact on that. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about Grafana and some of the security work you guys were doing. Because I saw a talk you had mentioned where you guys were building around Grafana and you were using it for your security program. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So I think of Grafana and Grafana. So Grafana being a very specific you know, slice of our portfolio, our portfolio, our open source projects, which is the Viz layer. But we, we do low-key tempo metrics, et cetera, as well. People think of Grafana as the Kubernetes observability platform, and it's really good at that. But I think Grafana really is, and I think Grafana is also really well thought of as it's a series of great time series databases and a really great visualization layer that's very heavily balanced towards open source sort of adaptability and flexibility. I hate being a CISO in that I have to buy security tools, and I found one or two yet. I would actually say Panther is really damn good, just to get the plug in. I found a few tools that like scratch that itch of end-to-end, okay, it's a great tool, it's the right price, and it makes it easy to do things. I really care about outcomes. Knowing that you have a bunch of vulnerabilities, knowing that you've had conversations with engineers, knowing that you do threat modeling, that's all worthless if you don't fix things in a scalable, structured, measurable, repeatable, and dependable way. The outcome is the thing I care about. 
And I think most security products in the marketplace, particularly those that have come out of the, the VC hyper growth bubble, they lose that focus on user needs and user personas. And they lose that. So yeah, what I call the so what question. Okay. So you've got a bunch of data and you can click at UI widget and you've got a CLI. So what people haven't patched some stuff or, you know, that thing's still open or you've been compromised and haven't detected. How do you solve that in a way that six months from now, you know, it's better and you can measure why and it's as better as you thought it would be. And I think Grafana being basically an engine for outcomes, you know, visualization of complex data that's been mushed up in a data mesh. I think we could do something interesting in that space. I think we should do it very heavily biased towards open source. Like I'm never going to be able to work for a non-open source company again. I've, this is just a wonderful environment to be in. So let's try and solve problems for the community more than going after the next block of cash. Let's think much more about it as a community-based thing. I mean, I, I make no commitments yet, but I love the idea of having an open community backlog for the product, for instance. I love the idea of having total porosity of the team where a couple of my engineers, a couple of your engineers, a couple of people from the community work together on a feature because we all want it. But then it just goes back into the open source. That, that feels good. But the paradigm I always think of is, how is the internet? What runs the internet? Now, there might be some relatively closed-sourced instances of open source tech, particularly in hyperscalers. But when I think of like the fundamental underlying low-level bits that run the internet, they're open source things. Why is security at scale closed source? It, there's a real mismatch there. So, you know, I say, I would love to buy mission-critical things from Series A startups because that's where the really interesting innovation is. But I cannot give a mission-critical capability to a Series A startup. I can't trust someone that theoretically one could buy with not pocket change, but you know, theoretically something that could be an acquisition target cannot possibly be secure enough to support a, let's say, $6 billion business. Like this, because security at scale is expensive and hard, and it shouldn't be. I think if Grafana can change that even slightly, even just give someone a different option for that last mile sort of, and so what, what we can do about it thing, I think that would be quite exciting. What would be the practical sort of applications of using Grafana for security? What element would you be looking at? I think of security, like modern data security, I think of it as three broad problems, sources telemetry, analysis telemetry, and what are you going to do about it? And I think that's, so what are you going to do about it piece? That's where Grafana lives. Like that's already what we do from observability data and IoT and BI. We're just a, a we're a, so what, what's the outcome platform? Yeah, I think that's the sort of place we can live. Strong preference, at least to begin with, for trying to integrate with and uplift the so what outcomes of the open source security ecosystem, you know. I would love to be able to design our entire security structure, an entire security stack on open source, but still have that no security person in the loop. Engineer Sally in the Amir team just has all the information they need natively where they live to be able to make really good decisions based off of open source sources that perhaps don't have very high quality UX or don't have the ability to de-silo their data. Similarly, I'd love to be able to plug into more enterprise grade stuff where you really are getting rich. You know, I make Sneak. I would say that Sneak makes some incredible products. And I'd love to be able to use their data in a way that's non-siloed and have the outcomes that are trackable alongside everything else. I think it's a really interesting mentality to have to say, like, I don't want to use mission critical things that aren't open source. I go back and forth on open source with security. And the reason I do is because for things that are mission critical and like big platforms, Security people, in my opinion, should not be managing that like themselves. Because when an incident happens, that is where their 100% of their focus goes. And if for whatever reason that service goes down, they have to manage that. And then you have mission critical failure, right? Like that's mm -hmm. not what you want. 
And I've been in enough teams and seen this so many times where we built too many tools internally inside of companies. And then people leave and then the tools die. How do you make the determination of like, okay, I'm going to invest in open source within these verticals of security, but not these? It's a great question. The operational burden is something that always, I apologize to the again, always sort of exists for you. I turn it around and sort of ask it back to you. And one of the questions that I'm wrestling with at the moment is the security platform must also survive a total compromise of the rest of the business or a total failure of the rest of the business because the security platform is the thing that you bootstrap back from. And I have had the misfortune of living through some of these kind of grades of instance in the past where like we rebuild stuff from the ground up from the perspective of security. So one shouldn't overly rely on one's infrastructure team, for instance, because when you have the outage that is caused by a security event, they're fully tasked in the reverse. They're fully tasked on getting things back up and you don't want your platform to have gone down. That's why I think you know, outsourcing logging is a good idea. Um, or at least having logging existing in a situation that is the failure domain is different from the rest of the submission critical stuff. Whether it's actually a sick problem that security manages submission critical things, I would argue that I think one can create enclaves inside of, inside of teams where you can split your focus. A mission critical thing needs to be kept up and healthy from an operational cadence perspective and also use to manage incidents in the same way that a, an IT team, you know, an old fashioned IT team can keep servers up and keep them healthy and manage servers on top of them. You just have to have different DRIs inside of that team or perhaps slightly different management lines inside of a inside of a function. But yeah, the combined failure mode thing, there is always a cost to overdog fooding, which is your failure domain shrink back down to zero or down to one, I should say. That's something you want to be careful of. My mentality for building has always been if it's unique to your company, like absolutely build it. If you need something in an open source project that's a very targeted, like if you're using an open source project like for host-based things, right? It's a very like specific solution. And the beauty of open source, like OS Query, for example, is you can actually go in and be like, okay, I want to add a new table. I want to gather new data that's unique to Grafana's production environment. Like Mm. that's really cool. And I love that feature. And it's fairly tractable to sort of go through and add things like that. But when you're working with a platform, let's just say like similar to Kubernetes, right? Most people, I feel like, don't deploy Kubernetes, like the vanilla Kubernetes. They just deploy EKS because they're like, Amazon's way better or Google GKE is like way better at running this than me. Why am I going through the burden of like trying to figure all this out? That's kind of how I feel about security platforms like Sims, especially. And obviously, I'm super Mm -hmm. biased because I've been thinking about Sims and working on Sims for many, many years, even prior to starting Panther. And... They're just so overly complicated. And there's so many things you need to do right, especially today where we are structuring data and it's ETL'd and it lives in a data lake and we're doing high-scale data processing. It's just like, those are non-trivial things. You can't just spend an afternoon working on, you have to spend years working on. So that use case, I think, is horrible for like open source, in my opinion, just because it's so complicated. And people can't meaningfully contribute to that, in my opinion. But if you have very specific things like detection frameworks and you have like logging and alerting and remediation, like those are very tractable, simple things. And mm-hmm. like I think open source is great for those. And we've done a number of things in open source, like our detections and, and whatnot. But as a practitioner, I always got a ton of value out of projects like OS Query or yeah, uh, so. Google, like GRR is another example. It's like the memory forensics framework. Like that was really cool. Yeah. So the thing I'm curious about is how much of Grafana's environment is like purely cloud native like versus, you know, the older style like VMs and things like that? 
100% cloud native, like genuinely 100%, which is good. I think it's the way forward. Obviously, we paid down the expense complexity of running Kubernetes earlier before I joined, which is good. I really enjoy the flexibility of it. And as long as you can manage the additional complexity and the security impacts of that, then it's, it's the right way forward. If I can just roll back to the, the previous question, though, like, there's an interesting spec in there. One should not try and build one's own, own sim. But I know loads of like really quite competent teams that have ended up trying, even after using commercial tools, you know, in the, the CSBM space or this new emerging kind of everything as a graph, mush up a load of data and get some emergent value thing. I, I know a load of teams, and I've done it myself, where you try some of the commercial offerings and they don't quite scratch the itch. Yeah, perhaps like the custom query thing is the custom DSL is actually a complete pain. That sort of like you hit one small subset of the feature set and you just go, that kills it completely. And it takes you a while to find it. So I know loads of organizations that try building stuff on Elk, for instance. And I, I know loads of organizations that try building on Grafana. I think the two interesting things for us is the, the opportunity that my team have at Grafana is we live next to the people that run the underlying tech. So that burden of building out some of the underlying core feature set. We just got asked the Loki team to go and do a thing that makes it a better time series log aggregation system for a security use case. And the other thing is, if I have to go and spend half a million dollars on a tool, I don't always get a half a million dollars worth of value. Like, what is the deployment burden required to get to half a million dollars? Did I actually only need a hundred thousand dollars worth of that feature set? I think that the marketplace is, the, the user base is really poorly served at the moment because we have, as you say, open source tools that drift in and out of being maintained. And I think generally have relatively poor UX and are designed by an engineer to solve a specific problem as opposed to by an engineer to solve with a specific methodology as opposed to solve a generic problem set or interact with a wider operational sort of methodology. And then we have these big expensive platforms. And I think there's something in the middle that's missing. I think that's the kind of target that we're aiming is it doesn't have to be like, instead of going, okay, well, 80% is good enough. Well, actually is 20% good enough for quite a lot of organizations. Maybe not. And you'll always try and go above that. But I do think there's a there's a need in the market for something that's good enough as opposed to really, really, really good. Mm-hmm. And particularly if it is then in the open source space, that's fine. You know, universities, third sector. I was chatting to some of the, the people from one of the major global charities and saying, well, one of our problem cases is that we hold biometric data on about 100 million people who are often in really scary places because that biometric data is something we use to help them get aid. You're like, well, how do you secure that? And they go, we have no budget. And we also have no people. Okay, that's an interesting problem case. The market's big enough for everyone. I think that there's a slice in the middle that isn't well served at the moment. Wow, there's a lot in there I have questions on. But the thing I want to call out, which I I love that you said, is the difference between engineers building features and products solving Mm -hmm. problems. Because I think those are very different things. And I've always seen in open source the former where it's like, okay, open an issue, I want this thing. And unless you have a team or an organization doing the product management, then I don't think you're going to start solving universal problems, right? You're going to just be tactically building features. So there's certainly a lot of investment that goes into building a good product. And you have to really spend time researching and making sure that what you're going to build is actually going to solve like a number of people's like issues. So that's one of the things I get fulfillment out of like being in the perspective of a SaaS provider that that is an open source. And like we put all of our energy into that versus it being, you know, trying to engage with open source and allow people to contribute like little features. You know what I mean? The other thing I want to ask is 
you know, you say, you know, if I spend half a million dollars, am I getting half a million dollars worth of value? Like, what's your thought process to determine if you're getting <laughs> value for something or not? Is it fully dependent on the tool or is it something else? You're asking me to how to measure the return on investment for security. Well, I mean, for, <laughs> for certain verticals of security, it's, it's probably a lot clearer than others, right? Like yeah. for application security, you can put stats against a bug bounty. Like there is a cost, there is a benefit. You can simulate stuff. Honestly, I haven't got sophisticated with it yet. It's still build consensus from a group of experts across multiple teams and, and make decisions based on that. It's quite heart-driven, not data-driven at the moment. But I think the idea of doing more statistical modeling, it comes down to some pure number stuff if you want to. It's like asset value, Monte Carlo simulations of X. Can we do some quantitative, some quantitative analysis on risk? What's the loss of sequence curve? What's your investment point? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, it's not a question I've answered yet. I have these three for a given scale of organization, I have these three buckets of costs, 50K, 100K, and 500K. And I think in the same way, people ask me, like, how do I know when something's contravening data protection policy? And I say, well, you could read the policy, you could read all of GDPR, or you could do the ick test. Does that thing make me feel icky? If it makes you feel icky, I, mean, I assume you're a good person. If it makes you feel icky, you might want to go and talk to someone about it because it might be wrong. Uh, and the same with cost stuff. Like, I think you know in your heart of hearts when something makes you happy, when something brings you joy. And as a budget owner, CISOE thing, part of bringing me joy is knowing that something is cost efficient for my business. It can be wildly expensive, but it's got to solve some really big problems really well. Or it could solve a very small amount of problem, but be really, really cheap. So it is the inverse icky test. Does this thing bring joy as the budget holder? Do my engineers love it? Do the engineers that work with the output of it love it? Is it solving problems? Does it broadly fit inside my budget? Is finance crying? And then you sort of get this sort of heuristic of thing is good. I just think it's fascinating that we, as an industry, don't have a good way of gauging ROI, especially for <laughs> action and response when it's so nebulous. And you're like, well, I didn't, I didn't get any incidents. Am I getting value? It's like, yeah, you're getting value. It's like, well, how do you measure yeah. it? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. I've seen one of the metrics pass me before. Here's the number of events we adjusted over the last month. Isn't it great? You go. Yeah, so no, thank you. Try again. We're having the same conversation at the moment. We're, we're going to start really spinning up a, I think it's like the best possible kind of engineer security education program. We're thinking about doing away with everything that's happened before, a really innovative way to give engineers the same shared set of semantics and the right skills for the right people in the right places so that they can easily write secure code and fix problems. Mm. And like even down to a niche bit, like, hey, how do you measure the ROI of security education for engineers? Hey, is incredibly non-trivial. And if you want to do it in an interesting way, it requires quite a high level of maturity. You need lots of data points from lots of things to be able to build even the fluffiest of models that may or may not correspond to reality. I want to go back to the thing you mentioned earlier about modern security that I really liked. You said that it's about telemetry analysis and then making a decision on what you do about it. And this is predominantly geared towards... Well, actually, I was going to say it's geared towards IR, but it could be geared towards application security as well, right? Your telemetry could be code analysis, right? And then you get some output of that. And it's like, okay, so I, so I do A or B. So when you think about detection, where are you on the scale of like, I'm going to automate everything or I'm going to have a human respond? It's an interesting one. One of the things that I'm really passionate about is what I call enabled autonomy. So I would say DevOps hasn't worked, but it's a really good idea. Like I think DevOps is a absolute bin fire of a, a development and operational methodology, the way that I've seen most organizations implement it. Like, quite compatibly, I'd say DevOps is a mechanism to achieve a higher rate of feature release at the expense of all non-functional requirements. 
And I've seen your know, product managers use it as a stick before. No, you can't come and help my team. It's not a product feature request. DevOps, DevOps, DevOps. Security, maintainability, scalability, all of these different non-functional requirements for code and services, they're hard. We used to have dedicated teams doing a waterfall sort of disaggregated model, and that didn't work. But then we said, hey, front-end web dev, one year out of uni, be responsible for security of this multi-million dollar feature, and that doesn't work either. So we need security teams and SRE and infra teams and QA teams and things existing as mechanisms to make it easy for everyone else to do at scale. I think the same goes for thinking about IR, thinking about all forms of these kinds of things. We need to have tools and platforms and teams that exist to make everyone else's lives more easily securable. So my dream vision, and I think in IR particularly, this is probably where the model breaks. Like you have forensics and IR people that are specialists in that. And I, I used to work for emergency services, you know, I was in search and rescue. And it's like my version of IR is there's been a major plane crash. Like there's a illegal dump on fire and the chemical plume is going over a school. And it's a whole discipline. So I mean, I know people have done masters in disaster recovery and disaster response. Like it's a, it's an academic discipline all of its own. And the technological skills and mission focus required to be a good you know, IR team member in security is, is so niche and specific. And the tooling is so niche and specific. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have like the looser end of detection incident response automated away enough that the security team didn't need to act on things specifically. It could just be distributed out to the people who own the systems under attack. And then security exists as the third line support escalation, maintaining and managing the infrastructure. I think for IR, it's hard for AppSec, CloudSec, for all of product security. That's the dream for me. The acid test, like the end goal, North Star acid test for me is there is an engineering team responsible for mission critical feature who deprioritizes the security feature. And they do so deliberately based on good data. And if the security team were involved, which we aren't by design, we would have agreed with them. But we can still measure it over time. That idea of extreme autonomy, but in a way that is enabled and visualized and visible and observable. Like observability is the, 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 the buzzword for us. It was a good one. I liked it. It makes a lot of sense. I think this idea of farming out not issues, but it's more like scaling your security team by educating the rest of your organization. That makes a lot of sense. And for things that, like you mentioned, are like cloud security, application security, it's very clearly right or wrong. You know what I mean? Like this bucket needs this policy. And we know that for a fact. IR is a lot different, but you can have certain behaviors with very high confidence. So for example, like the easiest example to wrap your head around is someone does a fraudulent duo push. They're like, oh, I didn't actually do this. And then it sends a note to the person who owns that account. And it's like, did you do this? And then they're like, yes or no, right? And then it escalates to your IR team. And then the IR team's like, okay, cool. What is this? And that can narrow down like maybe, you know, half or yeah. more of the volume. And things like that are, are very, very helpful. The AppSec side, I think, is almost fluffier again, because you you come down to cost benefit and opportunity cost trade-offs. Like, hey, like... App, app Team X, you've got a new critical vulnerability that's been dropped. Okay, you just have to go fix it. And, and to an extent, I, I'm one of those people who takes a purist view on reachability. Like, if the vulnerability legitimately exists in your stack, you should fix it. If it's exploitable, you should fix it faster, but you should still fix it. But then you get down to architectural decisions or decisions in custom logic you coded and things get really murky. Again, I think using automation and data analysis at scale and this concept of observed security, observability and thinking about outcomes you get to trust people to make that decision in a much more validated, data-driven, consistent way, but in a way that's also observed. I would say that the three pillars to me are always data that is made tractable and actionable. 
a shared set of semantics and understanding of what risk means, what a risk tolerance is, and a validated belief and understanding and reality that the people on the other end that you're trusting know enough about the things that they will take reliable action based on the same inputs. You're building the, the word isn't stochastic. There's a word for you have the same, you have good inputs, and the same inputs into the person result in the same output. So you've got I education. Good. That's what that Yeah, is. thank you. That's the one. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I thought it was funny acid. But. I was a DevOps engineer, so and but we know how you feel about DevOps. I think it is the one true one. Like I think it is the way it works. Particularly with modern tech stacks, engineers do know best. But they might need to be helped to a position where they know best reliably. Do you know what I mean? Like the decision should be taken at the point of delivery at the edge. That is the correct approach. Particularly when you're working someone that's got more of an agile methodology. And I do think agile methodologies are the only way you should write software for things that aren't nuclear submarines. But it's really hard. And yeah, you know, we got rid of the ops team and the security team and the quality assurance team and everyone else. It's quite unfair to ask a, you know, a team of developers to do all the things that another team used to do for them, even though that relationship was dysfunctional. Like just getting rid of it was wrong. We need to do something to help DevOps engineers do it better. I love that. All right, Thomas, we're just about at time. I want to conclude with uh, one final question, which is uh, what are three pieces of actionable security advice you can give to people listening in to help them succeed at detection at scale? Uh, basic hygiene is table stakes. I, the, I was the um, ex-head of GCHQ in the UK, I think, that said it at a conference I was at. Basic hygiene is table stakes. You don't have to worry about some of the richer stuff. Some of the other stuff isn't working verifiably. Care about what assets you have, care about how they're configured, and care about what's happening on them. And if you can do those three things, you're better than 95% of everyone else, and you'll probably be fine over time. Can you do that thing in a way that is enabling of other teams to be high velocity and be high change and do things efficiently? Are you blocking innovation and, and advancement? Are you doing it in a way that is financially responsible enough that you're not draining money out of the company? Basic hygiene in a way that enables other teams to go faster and doesn't cost too much, which I think might be impossible, but yeah, it's, a, it's an objective to go for. I think you've listed three things under that, which is perfect. I like that answer too. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of people overcomplicate it and they're like, oh, we'll do this like one strategy, but you're just like, hey, just cover your assets and have a good way to see what's going on and you're already 80% better. It's totally yeah, I, How many companies do you know, know what assets they have and know how they're configured and know what the problems are? 100%. Like, that chokes most teams. 100%, yeah. It's a hard thing to get right sometimes. Well, I really appreciate the time today and uh, it was great to meet you and chat with you. And uh, we will talk uh, again pretty soon. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks, Thomas. Thank you for listening to the Detection at Scale podcast brought to you by Panther Labs. For access to the latest episodes, please visit our website at www.runpanther.io forward slash podcast. And for those interested in running Panther, head to our website, runpanther.io, to sign up for a free trial. You'll get a dedicated instance with the ability to analyze your security logs in real time at any scale powered by detections as code and sending into a very robust security data lake. Our goal is to make detection and response easy, scalable, and fast for you, the practitioner. Thanks. See you again next time.